Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. I want to mourn the trees and tell them that we love them. I've looked at clear cuts and burnt forest and I've felt outraged. We are the crowning glory of God's creation, and all of nature was made for us. Nature is more productive because of us, not less. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. I was being sarcastic, which is another big word you'll learn in school. What's the word on the street? Hegelian dialectics. What? This is Wretched Radio, and today's special word is Hegelian dialectic. You say, watch your mouth, Friel. Nope, it's actually a legitimate term. And a reminder why philosophy is such a headache and it is such a nuisance when it comes to defending biblical orthodoxy. Uh, If you've never been introduced to Georg Hegel, he was, of course, a liberal German philosopher, Aren't they all? He died in 1831, and he created a system of thinking, a worldview philosophy to help us understand how it is that we are evolving. Karl Marx, Frederick Engels, uh, Antonio Gramsci, they all grabbed what he concocted for the spiritual world and applied it to the physical world, and it is being used to tear down basically all of Western civilization. And while, of course, we have an interest in that, we're more interested in how the Hegelian dialectic is being used in the church to tear down biblical orthodoxy, to become way more progressive and liberal. I was reading an article sent in to idea at wretched.org from one David Cloud at wayoflife.org fundamentalist Baptist website who did the finest job I've read so far in simplifying what the Hegelian dialectic is, because usually philosophy can make your eyes cross. What? What does that word mean? How do, so how does that fit with uh, reading philosophy books? Oh, I just, I get a really bad headache because it's so man-made and it's so made up and it's so unbiblical but this fellow did a bang-up job of helping us to understand how it is progressives are using the hegelian dialectic whether they are even mindful of it or not in order to dismantle and deconstruct traditional orthodox christianity so courtesy of david cloud george wilhelm hegel liberal german philosopher led the german idealist movement that that just is not our concern. Turning his back on Orthodox Christianity and holding to a type of pantheism. So now you know who the fellow is who concocted this scheme. He denied no such thing as absolute truth. Please note he died in 1831. Postmodernism has been afoot long before postmodernism actually took root. This was a fellow who denied absolute truth. He said it's narrow and dogmatic, to assume that of two opposite assertions, that's going to be important for us, one must be true and the other false. He just didn't like that idea that there's a right and a wrong, a good or a bad, a false and a true. So he rejected the Bible, and he believed that man's evolutionary journey, human history, it's a process, don't panic at this, of conflict, 
and synthesis. Don't worry. That, like I said, this, this guy does a bang-up job of explaining this in terms that I found quite accessible. So he believed in synthesis. And that was called, to get to synthesis, the dialectical process of spirit. So let me, let me just put it into the simplest terms, which is basically all I'm able to do. In the Hegelian dialectic, you have something called the thesis. And typically, that is the traditional. That is the way that society has concluded we ought to live. This is what is best for human flourishing. This is what is definitely true and right. That's called the thesis. But typically, there's going to be somebody who comes along and disagrees and says, well, pretty much the opposite. That would be the antithesis, the antithesis. So you've got two sides of the argument. Now, how do we resolve this conflict? Well, the Hegelian dialectical process of spirit was to take the thesis and the antithesis and combine them together to form a fuller understanding of truth in a synthesis. That's what the word synthesis means. It takes the opposing views mushes them together and creates something better. And that becomes then the basis for another dialectical process of opposition and synthesis. So you come to your synthesis. So you, you think blue is the best color. Somebody thinks red is the best color. Well, we get together and purple is what we've synthesized the color into. Now, please note, doesn't look like either red or blue, does it? But supposedly, it's superior. Now, just because you've arrived at a superior synthesis, that doesn't mean that you're done. No cereba, because somebody's going to come along and go, purple, hmm, you think that's the ideal? I think it's orange. So what do you do? You smash purple and orange together, and you get, Jimmy, tell everybody what you get when you put purple and orange together. Green. Do you? I don't. You're making that up, because I didn't know either. The point is, you get yourself a synthesis that is ongoing and evolving, and progressively we're just getting better and better, aren't we? That's the Hegelian, Hegelian dialectic, the process of spirit. Hegel believed the created stress of opposing positions was essential for developing higher states of consciousness. In the moment of synthesis, the opposition are both preserved and transcended, negated and fulfilled. That's a quote from a book called Spiritual Politics. So Hegel believed this is what is true when it comes to thinking, philosophy, morality, worldview. This spiritual evolution. Along came Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, they believed that the Hegelian dialectic for the spiritual could be used in the physical. They had a desired end. Please note, they knew where they wanted to go, but it was the instrument of the Hegelian dialectic that was the transportation system to get them there. So back to our David Cloud article. The objective of Hegelian dialectics in this sense is to replace something old with something new. So you replace capitalism with communism, traditional Bible doctrine with modernism, a traditional education system based on moral absolutes. Don't need that. It needs to be a new one based on relativism. 
You've got new math. Why? What was wrong with the old math? Seemed to work. We built a lot of stuff with it. No, nope, we got to get rid of that. And historically, the Hegelian dialectic has been used, and you're going to hear it in action and go, oh, that's going on all around me. Hegelian dialectics is used today to create a paradigm shift, replacing an old paradigm with a new one. It's social evolution, political transcendence. It's an ever-evolving system that never arrives at absolute truth. It's all relative. It's all negotiable. And please note, the ends justify the means. What are the tactics that people use? This is going to ring a bell. Lots of them. Dialogue. Huh? That's right. We need to have a dialogue so that you can understand my side, repent of your side, and join me in this new synthesis. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Compromise, consensus forming, conflict resolution, deceit, redefinition of words. Zoink, Scoob, aren't we seeing that tons? Giving new names to objectionable things. You know, like gender-affirming care. What? Reproductive health care. What? What are they trying to do? Flip the old model on its head. We use new terms. Crisis creation obfuscation, uh, make it complicated and tricky uh, so that only the scientific experts can understand what we're talking about here. Now, the Hegelian dialectic, it has been employed by communists, Marx and Engels. They take his philosophy of spiritual and call it dialectical materialism. So we deal with economics, not the spirit, economics by using Hegel's system. It has been used by educators in America, 1920s, to move the educational system from the old concept of moral absolutism and submission to a higher authority. And might I add that the schools existed to help support parents in their effort to raise children who are productive citizens of society. Now, boy. We need legislation to keep schools from keeping information from parents about their kids' supposed gender confusion. What, what happened? How did all of this change? The Hegelian dialectic was used. And you say, well, all of this is semi-interesting, Friel. But what does that have to do with the church. And that is where this particular article gets exceedingly interesting to those of us who like what the Bible teaches. You felt it, haven't you? It probably the first time may have been liberal Protestantism, but you were disassociated from that. But inside evangelicalism, it was the emergent movement. Now, modernism. What is going on inside of the church? Answer the Hegelian dialectic next on Wretched Radio. Might I, first of all, thank you for the hundreds of wretches who supported Masters Academy International last year. And if you are now perhaps intrigued by what they do at Masters Academy International, would encourage you to check them out. Yes, we're doing a Bible distribution program with them, but they're training pastors around the globe. Seminary trained students at the Master Seminary return to their native land 
and they get plugged into a Master's Academy International mini-seminary outlet where they teach indigenous pastors how to rightly divide the word of truth. It's brilliant. And these indigenous pastors trained at the Master's Seminary train indigenous pastors. Brilliant. It is a wonderful ministry and you could be supporting a pastor, you could be supporting a seminary overseas and you'll be strengthening the local church. You can do that at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Well, in a world that is undeniably cluttered with quick fixes and superficial solutions, now comes a journey into the heart of real change. I'm talking about Transformed Season 3. It's finally here, and we're inviting you into the lives of individuals that are facing the giants of fear and guilt and grief. But hey, there's a twist. These aren't your typical battles. These battles have been fought with the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. You'll witness loneliness and overeating and relational tension met with grace, truth, and love that can only come from the one who knows us the best. This season's not just about watching others. It's about seeing yourself and your struggles and the path to true transformation through biblical counseling. We'll together dive deep into the heart of what it means to be transformed. Transformed Season 3 can be found right now at wretched.org slash transformed3. Record number of children are attending the Tomorrow Clubs in Africa. You should see the videos. Hundreds of kids run to meet at a Tomorrow Club in Africa. Why? Because Tomorrow Clubs, they're weekly kids meeting clubs where the kids, yep, they get some treats, but they get the gospel. They get the Bible. They get Bible memorization. Remember, we used to force our kids to do that, but now that we're oppressors, we don't want to be toxic and make our kids memorize Bible verses when it's about a gazillion times easier than when you get old. And they worship the Lord, they pray together, and they get loved on. Tomorrow clubs, I'm telling you, record-breaking. The images are so encouraging, so cool, and I would encourage you to consider being a Tomorrow Club partner. One dollar per child per month encourage you to please consider supporting the great ministry tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is the ability to discern between true and false spirits. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and many false teachers present their lies as God's truth. But God has given us His truth, and He has equipped us to tell true from false in accordance with His Word. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Two words that explain... What is going on inside of the church? This is Wretched Radio. As liberalism continues to creep, in fact, it's looking more and more like a tidal wave in mainline Protestant denominations and even inside of evangelicalism. There is some sort of concerted effort to take what we've always understood and turn it into something that doesn't even resemble it. And the two words that help us understand what's afoot is Hegelian dialectic. Georg Hegel, a German philosopher, died 1831. He did not believe in God. He believed in evolution. He didn't believe in absolute truth. So he saw the world as a thesis, the state of the way things are. How do we observe reality? This is what we believe to be true. Alas, 
somebody believes in the opposite. So that would be the antithesis, the antithesis. And because there's no right or wrong, because God does not get to wear the referee jersey to determine who is committing a foul, we synthesize the thesis and the antithesis. And what do we get? We get ourselves something presumably better, I would suggest to you. It is something that doesn't resemble truth. Because if one idea, the thesis, is true, the antithesis is false, or even vice versa. You put the two together, and at best, all you get is watered-down truth. At best, but you're not done. Because the synthesis then becomes a thesis itself, and somebody disagrees with it. So what do you do? You create a new synthesis. And before long, you don't even recognize the original thesis. And that is being used by communists and Marxists and socialists to upend the traditional system of capitalism and to turn it into something entirely different. It's been used in the education system to create a system. You'd go back to, you'd go to grade school and you'd, you'd probably be mystified. What in the world? You mean math answers are optional? How did that happen? Well, you can thank George Hagel. But our interest is the church. How is the Hegelian dialectic being used in the church? Well, we see this happening a lot. David Cloud at wayoflife.org, he wrote a really helpful article to explain how the Hegelian dialectic gets employed regularly. Quote, the rebellion is subtle at first, simply moving away from the traditional way of doing church. You know, it's so stodgy. Let's just update it. Uh-oh. It seems that that would be potentially helpful, I guess. But look out. There's more to come later. Hey, why don't we just start studying the roles that we play inside of the church and you get yourself female pastors. And eventually it gets to the point of ordaining lesbian pastors. Barriers to change have to be broken down if we're going to stay relevant. And for the sake of peace and unity, interdenominational barriers, interreligious barriers need to be broken down too. And what do you end up with? Well, you end up with a synthesis of nothing, combining all of these elements into, if you will, kind of a one world religion sort of affair. Deception is key in the dialectic process. So, those who initiate, they have an objective, they know where they want to go. They just use this as the horse that they ride in on. They know it's going to be resisted. So they resort to deception, especially at the beginning, to break down resistance to the goal. And I can't help but think about the argument that is used so often to advance something so ridiculous, the Mott and Bailey. Hey, do you believe, Jimmy, do you believe that people should be happy? Absolutely. That's why we need gay marriage. <laughs> I didn't say that. Oh, don't you want people to be happy? Mm -hmm. That's the Martin Bailey. You could also say that's Hegelian. That's how we go about the business of changing traditional. So in the case of the theological modernists, they present the new theology as a minor issue, hiding their real agenda. 
Those who use this know the process has been carried out. The resistance will have been broken down in an atmosphere created for the implementation of the original goal. It's a Jesuit philosophy. The ends justify the means. It is pragmatism. Consider 2008. Do you remember the Rethink Conference? Rethink Conference? You say, well, that could be anything but Christian. No, that was Robert Schuller, which frankly is anything but Christian. But the point is, he held a conference and it used Hegelian dialectics because he, well, just is anti-Christian, new age, humanistic. How do you get there? Well, the conference was, quote, a convergence, hear the word synthesis, a convergence of some of the most influential Christian and global thinkers. This was their language. These great thinkers were described as, quote, respected icons in media, politics, faith, science, business, and technology. And they had contradictory ideas. And we were going to gather at the Rethink Conference to create something new, quote, from Erwin McManus, Mosaic guy. The idea of the conference was, quote, bring all the different thoughts and ideas and create something cohesive and meaningful. Oh. So that means the exclusivity of Jesus has to go. Yep, you got it. The process involved hearing what everybody had to say. So they would give a 20-minute lecture, and then the participants had to wrestle with it, dialogue about it, agree or disagree with it, then take it a step further and make it your own. Boom! Hegelian dialectic. This is exactly what is being used regularly. Using a secular idea to jettison what you and I know to be true. Now, here's a Lutheran pastor who described this process. I don't know what synod he belongs to, but this is, I think, a helpful quote. A little long, but helpful. I'd fully accepted the new theology or thinking. Having first gone through a traumatic time in which the Christian faith, which I'd arrived there at the seminary, was challenged. So the guy goes to Sem. And the professors challenge him on his beliefs? Yep. Why? The reason presented for this challenging was to bring us to really think through our theology, to stretch our faith, to move us to a deeper understanding of the faith. Well, that, that sounds good, but that's not the goal. They want to dismantle and deconstruct. That was the rationale that was presented to the more conservative members of the synod who would ask, what's going on there? We're just trying to help them grow in their understanding of truth by exploring different viewpoints. Sound familiar? He writes, This really was deceitful because the aim and intention, as I came to know later, was not to stretch our faith, but to move us from historical faith into the new thinking. We felt it was a great shift. It was traumatic, but it was presented as representing only minor doctrinal differences. But that's not what they were after. I've said many times to my conservative friends, and this is a word for us. This, this, is, this is written directly for us. Because you're going to meet these people if you don't know them already. You think in terms of one way of processing. You don't understand. They think in an entirely different way. You think in terms, one thing is true, the opposite is false. They've adopted a dialectical way of thinking in which there is no true and false, only thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. 
They have effectively adopted Hegel's dialectical way of thinking. There truly are no absolute truths within their system. They'll discuss things with conservatives in a way that gets their opponent to think that they're discussing which of the two positions is right. All the while, the real issue for them is there is no certain answer. That's from a Lutheran who saw it happening inside of Lutheran seminaries. And I've been to those seminaries, and it's not just Lutheran. I've been to Presbyterian, United States of America, not America, PCUSA. There's no absolute truth going on there. And it's happening right now. Alisa Childers, brand new article at discipleship.org. Five signs your church might be heading toward progressive Christianity. Number one, there's a lowered view of the Bible. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. Number four, historic terms are redefined. Number five, the heart of the gospel shifts from sin and redemption to social justice. You say, what happened in number three? Essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. John Pavlovitz, he's a progressive, said, There are no sacred cows in progressive Christianity, tradition, dogma, and doctrine. All fair game because all pass through the hands of flawed humanity. So they redefine, reinterpret, hot-button moral issues. And we know the buffet they've concocted, including cardinal doctrines such as the virgin conception and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. The only sacred cow is no sacred cows. What has she identified? You guessed it. The Hegelian dialectic, which Christians need to reject 100% because it's, say it with me, my Hegelian dialectical friend, wrong. This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, a Harvard professor needed some police protection recently after he released a study that shows no evidence of racial bias in police shootings. Despite expecting to find bias against minorities, Roland Fryer's analysis determined that officers were actually less likely to shoot black and Hispanic suspects compared to whites. But contradicting the fashionable narrative brought threats and outrage and he needed police protection. I guess truth really does spark hate nowadays. Well, Greece has become the first Orthodox Christian nation to legalize same-sex marriage and adoption. The Prime Minister hailed it as a human rights milestone, but the Greek Orthodox Church vehemently opposes it, rightly stating that children have a natural right to both a mother and a father. But tragically, adult demands are being placed over children's fundamental rights. Well, the National Health Service in Britain has suggested that a transgender woman's chest milk is just as good as a biological mother's breast milk for feeding infants. I know this stuff confuses all of us sometimes, but a transgender woman is someone living as a woman but is actually a man. So, a man's quote-unquote chest milk is just as good as a biological mother's breast milk. I guess, apparently now, when you pump men full of artificial hormones to induce some lactation, well, that's, I guess, as comparable as the real deal produced naturally after giving birth. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Professional people with actual influence over decisions in this world 
are saying these things. And these are things that would have had them in straight jackets 20 years ago. An Oklahoma elementary school principal who moonlighted as a drag queen and had a past for child pornography has resigned after public outrage. He claims that the kitty porn charges from 20 years ago were fabricated. Okay, well, it's hard to look past those when he's also the one who founded Oklahoma City's Drag Queen Story Hour. A Minneapolis school district is now allowing families to opt out of LGBT-themed lessons, only after Muslim parents threatened legal action. I guess religious freedom only applies if you complain loudly. <laughs> Opting out of this type of nonsense shouldn't require threats or lawsuits. I mean, the entire debacle shows that the pushing of this sexual ideology on children has become way more important to some people than respecting boundaries and beliefs. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. For Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Lexicon. There are many words to help us understand the nature of the Bible. Words like inerrancy. The Bible is the word of God, and God cannot err. Therefore, the Bible is without error. We know that God has revealed himself truthfully in the pages of Scripture. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Jimmy, the numbers are 39, 41, 43, 49, and 64. I'm on it. Thank you. This is Wretched Radio. Hey, we can play the lottery too. Don't know if you saw the story of the Arkansas woman who won the lottery because she felt like she had to buy a ticket based on the church sermon. That's right. The church sermon somehow has persuaded her to get her avalanche of cash that's being stored up and withheld in the heavens, but God will release when you believe. In other words, what we have here is another example of bad teaching that hurts a lot of people because whilst this woman from Arkansas may have actually won the lottery, how many people decided to buy lottery tickets and didn't? The sermon that she said made her inclined to play was about praising the Lord for things on the way. What is that? Prosperity lingo. God's got some blessings. His cannon is loaded. He's going to fire one of these years when we've come up with a slogan and maybe you win the lottery, which you shouldn't be playing in the first place. It is nothing but harmful, bad, twisted, low theology, low stuff. Christianity is so much more transcendent. It's bigger than this. It's more than stuff. We, we are citizens of God's kingdom. That's enough right there. That's the big stuff that we've been redeemed, that we've been justified, that we are being sanctified, that we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. I, 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 I got to tell you, compared to winning a $100,000 lottery, that sounds like a whole better version of Christianity to me, would like to return to Alyssa Childers. She wrote an article called Five Signs Your Church Might Be Heading Toward Progressive Christianity. And while I buzzsawed through them, I think she helps us to identify progressive Christianity when it's making its way in the church. She wrote down helpful statements that people make that should cause your radar to go, what you talking about, Willis? If you recall, one of the five signs was there's a lowered view of the Bible. Honestly, I think that's always the jump, isn't it? That's, that is the starting gate every single 
time. By the time you run into a progressive minister who is wonky on gender or sexuality, now that, that's a fruit of a bibliology root. I'm not sure that there is any sort of aberrant Christianity that doesn't have its genesis in bibliology. As soon as you lower it, as soon as you diminish it in any way, well, then the gates are open and you are off to the progressive races and there ain't nothing going to stop you. That is, I would suggest, always the problem. And it can be really subtle where we make the Bible relevant. You go, well, yeah, you want to make it relevant. Hold on. What do you mean by that? Well, we need to present it in such a way that people get it. Really? Why? What was it about the first century that caused Jesus Christ himself to say, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand? What, what was going on in culture at that time? Why did John the Baptist preach that? Why did Paul preach repentance and faith? Peter, shoot, everybody talk about the issue for humans. It is not how to get along, how to evolve, how to have a productive life, how to be really living your best life. Not, no, it was how to be saved from the wrath of God. That was the message then. That was, that's been the message throughout the ages, and that is the message today. So when you hear people say, well, we just need to make it a little more relevant, so we change the word sins to mistakes, shortcomings, regrets. We've had a few, but don't you worry. God loves you. What, what is that? That's, that's, that's a lowering of bibliology and the clear gospel message that is an offense to the world. Isn't that really the battle cry of progressives these days? We, we, we got to make sure that people like us. Okay, we should be a people that are so peculiar and so different. They should persecute us. That's what the Beatitudes show. Jesus is describing people who are Christians. Uh, he's describing the, the, the marks of an individual who is born again. And he describes the fact that we are given all of these spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms. That, that's, that's what we are. And because of that, what are the final two Beatitudes? I think in verses 8 and 9, maybe 10. You're going to be persecuted. <laughs> what? What did Jesus say? That we will be hated. They hated me. They're going to hate you too. Anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, we don't go looking for trouble. We don't like to get beaten and put into the stocks. That's not the goal of life, as if somehow we're going to gain eternal points for it. No, we live our lives as genuine believers of Jesus Christ. And the reality is the world is going to feel convicted by it. They're going to feel blinded. They're going to feel the effects of salt when we're behaving like salt. And we need to recognize that when we start tampering with biblical truths in an effort to be liked, we got the wrong modus operandi. Please note, it's nice when people like us. That's fine. They should see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. I think that is a really clear, direct connection to 1 Peter 3. That when you're persecuted, you respond in such a way where you're still loving your enemies that they ask about the hope that lies within you. They get saved and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 
So we don't run around like obnoxious Christians. We run around like born-again believers who are salt and light, living our lives peaceably as much as it is incumbent upon us, recognizing they're going to hate us because they hate our Savior. And these messages that try to make us look so likable. Church, hey, we do Super Bowl Sunday. Look at how nice we are and likable. We're just like you. No, we're not. They're darkness, we're light. They're goats, we're sheep. That's the difference. That, that gap can't be bridged. Furthermore, that is such a low ecclesiology. Ay, ay, ay. Alyssa Childers saying there's a lowered view of the Bible when it comes to progressive Christianity. And here's some of the phrases that they use. The Bible's a human book. You know, I disagree with the Apostle Paul on this issue when he, huh? Or you might hear, the Bible, it contains the Word of God. No, it is the Word of God. Listen for those marks. Number two, feelings are emphasized over facts. So when you hear something like, you know, the Bible, it just doesn't resonate with me. That's feelings driven. Or you hear, I thought homosexuality was a sin, but then, I befriended some gay people and not, uh-oh, that's feelings led. Number three, well, I just can't believe that Jesus would send good people to hell. That is a feeling that is ill-informed, but it's driving theology. That's progressivism. That's the very nature of it. Take what is clear and obvious and reinterpret it in such a way that it makes it something completely different. And you got to start with lowering your view of the Bible. Number three, essential Christian doctrines are open for reinterpretation. Paging N.T. Wright, anyone? Paging N.T. Wright, we've always understood justification correctly, sir. We don't need a new perspective on Paul. What is that progressivism? So if you hear comments like, the resurrection of Jesus doesn't have to be factual to speak truth. Who Who says that? In so many words, Jordan Peterson. The Jesus myth doesn't have to be true. And even Joe Rogan is making progress, but he's he's actually been more informed by Jordan Peterson than I think any theologian who has been in his studio. Just we just need a better model. We just need we just need a higher ideal. And so the Jesus figure, he seems to be about the best we can do. Let's emulate him. That's That's not what Christianity is about. It's not what the Bible teaches. Progressive Christianity does. If you hear the church's historic position on sexuality is archaic, needs to be updated within a modern framework. There's your Hegelian dialectic. The idea of a literal hell is offensive to non-Christians. So let's come up with annihilationism. Uh, let's come up with a way to, we got to have an expiration date on hell because it just makes God seem so mean, doesn't it? Historic terms are redefined. God wouldn't punish sinners because he is love. So what has been redefined? Love. Sure, the Bible's authoritative, but we're more advanced today than we used to be. Uh Uh-oh. Look out for a redefining of terms. It's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. It's just our job to love them. What are you hearing? Inkles of progressivism. And finally, the heart of the gospel, it shifts from sin and redemption to 
social justice. So you might hear, sin doesn't separate us from God. We're made in his image. And he called us good, very good. God didn't actually require a sacrifice for sins. The first Christians picked up on the pagan practice of animal sacrifice and told the Jesus story in similar terms. We don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love by bringing justice to the oppressed. When you hear any of those sentiments expressed, you're hearing progressive Christianity. This is Wretched Radio. Are you ready to go on an adventure that tackles life's biggest questions head on? Well, we invite you to join John Fabares and Jake Ream on a riveting journey in Road Trip to Truth Season 4. This season, they're hitting the road to explore deep questions about sin, atheism, racism, and the very nature of truth itself. Through candid conversations with university students and wisdom from experts, this season delivers some unwavering answers from a biblical perspective. Whether it's understanding the reality of heaven and hell, navigating the complexities of marriage, or uncovering the truths about money and forgiveness, Road Trip to Truth Season 4 will be your guide. It's perfect for youth groups, families, or anyone who seeks to defend their faith with confidence. Road Trip to Truth has been more than a series. It's a tool for sparking meaningful discussions and inspiring a commitment to the gospel. So if you're ready to head out on a road trip, buckle up for the truth. Road Trip to Truth Season 4, available now at wretched.org slash 4. Who will speak for those who are staggering to the slaughter? Seems like right now would be a good time to encourage you to support Preborn Ministries. They're in it. It's a little complex out there with the internet and ordering pills. They're in the game. They're working hard to save babies and save mommies and daddies with the gospel. So if you are energized about life, that's something you can do. You can support Preborn. They provide free ultrasounds despite the accusations of all pro-life clinics. They are holistic. They do care about the mommy too. And they care for the family and they provide training. And it is literally a way that if you have the means, you can be saving a life. Amazing ministry. Preborn.org slash wretched. Preborn.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. Now, I want to take a moment and paint you a picture. Imagine a world where the gospel reaches every corner, touching lives and transforming hearts. I know that's something as Christians we're all praying for, but imagine that you could play a pivotal role in that mission. And I'm not suggesting what you currently do doesn't play a pivotal role. We know you love the content that we're able to produce, but it takes resources to produce that content. And that's where you come in. 83% of every dollar you give goes directly to ministry. That's a fact that you can look up for yourself with the ECFA. Your partnership means we're reaching more souls, equipping more saints, and strengthening more churches. And so if you're wondering how to do that, how to join us and become a gospel partner, first of all, don't just jump into it. Talk to your spouse about it, pray about it, and consider what it might look like in your life. Then, and only then, you can go to wretched.org slash donate to get any answers to any other questions you might possibly have. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Attributes of God The Bible tells us of God's goodness. God does not measure up to an external standard of goodness. He is the standard. Because everything God does is by definition good, 
we can trust that God will do what is right in every situation. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you have a sarcasm itch, well, we're here to scratch it. This is Wretched Radio. Just in case you haven't had your sarcasm fixed for the day, don't you worry. We've got plenty of it, starting with an email that was sent to idea at wretched.org. I will leave the name of the individual out to protect the innocent who is having a dialogue, not in an Hegelian kind of way, but a chat as to whether or not Christians should choose The Chosen, the juggernaut TV series. I think they're going to make it into a movie, too, or maybe they already did that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, Bad boy is a cash cow. It is supposed to be Jesus, not the words that are recorded in the Bible, but all the extra stuff that a group of people who are kind of a concoction of different beliefs imagine Jesus might have said or done, you know, to help us relate to the true Jesus more. Sort of like he gets us in a sense, isn't it? Uh, This sarcastic, I'm telling you, it's amazing that the papers make this much noise because dripping with sarcasm. As you're reading the Gospels, can you imagine Jonathan Rumi? He's the lead actor. He plays Jesus in The Chosen. Can you imagine him walking up to Jesus and saying, I want to represent you to the masses. Now, I personally am Roman Catholic, but I'm a believable actor. We could reach a lot of people. I could go down to Galilee and pretend to be you. But I'm only pretending, and because I'm only pretending to be you, the people will dismiss my unorthodox beliefs about God. I mean, your father won't mind if I go to the cemetery for a little grave soaking on my own time. Yep. Yes, he did. I'm only pretending to be you, and maybe, just maybe, your mom could come with me. That way we could work on this thing I want to call the rosary on my own time, of course. And while I'm only just pretending to be you, I could teach the people how to pray to your mother for the salvation of their souls because she's the co-redemptrix. But that's just what I believe, and I'm only an actor. So what do you think, Jesus? I think we know the answer to that question, don't we? Sarcasm fix number two, of course, (laughs) from the Babylon Bee. Sinners relieved to learn Jesus gets them. And they don't have to repent or change their lives in any way. You saw the He Gets Us campaign. Hundreds of millions of dollars being spent to basically present a palatable Jesus. One who is so socially conscious. Who's willing to wash everybody's feet. And that's what we should be doing too. So a lot of people with clean feet who never get to hear the gospel which is that Jesus died for sinners, that is how we find peace with one another. It's not through an antiquated gesture of kindness, washing feet. No, it's when people are brought into Christ. That's when we actually get along, because we suddenly realize, whoa, all of these external things, all of these societal markers that we used to esteem They're just way on the back burner or non-existent at all. We are now Christ ones. That's who we are. And we get along because we are in Christ. A little sarcasm for you. Thanks to prominently placed Super Bowl ad, thousands of people on their way to hell breathe a sigh of relief upon learning that Jesus gets them. (laughs) They don't even need to repent or nothing. It's such a relief, said local hellbound sinner Tina Norris. I'd started to feel like maybe my life was on the wrong track. 
and I should think about changing my ways. But I saw those commercials during the Super Bowl and I thought, you know what? I can be completely at ease while I'm on my way to eternal judgment. He gets me. Others expressed similar feelings. There was a noticeable pull in my heart toward changing my lifestyle, said Trevor Barnes, an LGBTQ plus ad- activist who spends his weekends dressing in drag and pole dancing for kindergartners at a local library. But now I know Jesus gets me. I can just keep being the same way and doing the same things even when my life is over and I'm facing eternity condemned by God. I can rest in the fact he gets me. By the way, did you see uh, ah, National Geographic? The guy, uh, Jimmy, did you report this story? I did. The, the guy with the mustache who dress ups like, no woman, Dolly Parton doesn't even dress like that. Mm-hmm. This weird character, uh, uh, he, he is now National Geographic, the traveler of the year is a Condé Nast. Apparently he does like REI commercials to boot. Yeah, I think so. I think that's right, what it is. So, so just think dr- classic drag, like Las Vegas style drag queen with a mustache is getting deals from Madison Avenue to promote their products. Whew, I'm telling you, we're a long way from home, aren't we? As long as we're on the subject, don't worry, we have more sarcasm. As long as we're on the subject of he gets us, I thought this was very helpful from Nate Fisher at the American Reformer. What's, what's the problem with this ad campaign that just showed disparate people washing each other's feet? And by the way, it was always the conservative washing the feet of the progressive one to indicate, see, you need to stop being so rigid and just start washing people's feet. I thought this was really, really helpful. The message is stale. Amen. All of these new cutting edge ways to present Jesus and to grow the church flat and it just really you're going to dress up like you're going to put on your football jersey and somehow make your bible look like a football and then kick it because it's super bowl sunday stale boring flat and it's certainly not what people need Uh, from nate fisher in a year when other advertisers recognized americans are weary of woke preaching and backed off of it Evangelicals, once again behind the curve, put out an ad that looks like it was designed for 2021. Yep, that is so true. In our desire to be culturally relevant, we're always lagging behind. And he gets us is one of those times, too. The ads will drive away those that might be most receptive to Christianity. Millions of Americans, especially young men, natives right, especially young men, they're alienated by wokeness. They get it. They're, well, this ain't working. They're seeking something different. And Christianity is something so different. No worldview comes close to this. Just had the privilege of preaching on the Beatitudes. Or as Robert Schuller would say, the be happy attitudes, which is exactly the wrong way to understand them. The Beatitudes aren't quid pro quo. Act like that. You're going to feel like this. You do this and you'll be blessed. You are blessed because you have all of this. That's what the Beatitudes teach. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let me reorder that a little bit. Because the poor in spirit will inherit the kingdom of God, they're blessed. 
Do you feel that difference? And knowing that, knowing that we are the king's citizen people who have been given the kingdom, that's who we are. That's what we possess. Whoa, that alters life. That brings some transcendent transcendence. That brings meaning. That brings purpose. And that means, whoa, what I'm doing here has eternal significance. Is there any other worldview that competes with that? Social justice Jesus? Go wash people's feet and you'll feel good maybe after you stop retching? That's, that's not a worldview that's satisfying. And there are people who want something bigger. Let's not, let's not back off on this gospel. Yep, it is a stumbling block, but it is also something most excellent, most exquisite, because it is divine. It, it, no other worldview comes close to this. What it does for your life, knowing who you are and what you possess, it helps you to make decisions. It helps you to resist the messaging from your social media feed that tells you you need to look or act like this or pretend you're a different gender. Oh, nope, this is who I am. I, I don't need stuff. I've got everything I need to be oh, supremely happy, which is the way some commentators translate, blessed in the Beatitudes. Oh, supremely happy because, not because I have to do, but because of what Jesus did, I, the poor in spirit one, I'm going to inherit the kingdom. Any other worldview come close to that? And finally, from Nate Fisher, the most subversive aspect of the He Gets Us campaign may be how it inverts the message of Christ, making us the focal point instead of him. How perfect for our therapeutic ethos. Our mindset that everything in the universe revolves around me. The He Gets Us campaign simply encourages people to remain the center of their own universe. But don't you panic, Jimmy. I have one more sarcastic something okay. here. But you've got to participate. Okay. Which one of these is true? I'm going to give you four options. Which one of these is true? In New York, they're going to encourage drug dealers to become pharmacists. That's option number one. <laughs> In Philadelphia, abortionists are going to be trained to become OBGYNs, what they're going to do. Denver is going to allow illegal immigrants to become police officers or... In L.A., pedophiles are going to run the local parks. Which one of those stories is true? Well, they all could be, but I would say the third one. Which was? The, uh, the, the about being police officers. Denver. Yeah, Denver, Denver, Denver. You win. Is that right? That's the right one. That's actually the true story. The rest are false, but it would be hard to know the difference, wouldn't it? Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs> <laughs>